Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of Movies and Us, a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about movies, stories, and connection. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And today we're going to be reviewing the latest film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And we are joined by a very special friend of the podcast. Uh, she was on a couple of episodes ago for Elemental, and she is back. Uh, Caitlin, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello. Um, yeah, it's me. <laughs> um, oh, also, it wasn't Elemental, it was Spider-Verse. Yes. Oh. That's okay. Yes, I've been here for many, many Marvel uh, yes. reviews. This yeah. is actually the first non-Marvel review I've done with you, so we'll see how it goes. All right. But a, a iconic franchise, so the pattern continues. <laughs> All right, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Sure. Archaeologist Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary artifact that can change the course of history. I feel like that could apply to like all and all of the indie movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just just copy <laughs> and so paste funny. across all five movies. There's clearly a formula here. <laughs> okay, so let's start off with our one sentence summaries for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Caitlin, do you want to share yours first? Sure. Um, it was a classic indie film that did not disappoint in any way. Oh, in any way. Okay. Uh, Sarah, what was your one-sentence summary for Indiana Jones? Mine is reimagining Eureka's first utterance. <laughs> nice. Love it. Well played. Um, my summary is... The magic of a hat whose only rival is possibly the sorting hat. <laughs> I <Nice>. love it. <laughs> okay, let's start off with our initial thoughts of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We will not spoil this movie in this first section. And perhaps even before you share your initial thoughts, maybe you can talk a little bit about your level of fandom of Indiana Jones in general as a franchise. So, Caitlin, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I, I do love Indiana Jones. I, um, it's not one that I can tell you every bit of lore of or anything like that. <laughs> They're just like those, you know, those, uh, not guilty pleasure, but just those, like, I just need something fun. I need something that, you know, can just, uh, just a distraction or just a fun little getaway for a little bit. Um, that's always been Indiana Jones for me. So, um, yeah, so I just, I just enjoy them as the fun movies they are. And again, I just, I think this one fit right in with it or with the others, I suppose. All right. And we'll unpack later on what parts really worked well for you. Okay. Sarah, your thoughts about Indiana Jones five. Uh, yeah, I, so I grew up, watching Indiana Jones, you know, just a fun adventure movie. Uh, and now as an adult, uh, I haven't rewatched them all recently, but I have watched one and three, which are, in my opinion, the best of the five. Uh, I watched those fairly recently. And even as an adult, those are so good. They are so rich. They're so full of action, but they're also just really well-made movies. Um, and so I, I really appreciate this franchise and, and what it's done. Um, I, I think number five is fine. I, I didn't love it, but I, it wasn't bad. So I, I think that it, it is a, a fitting conclusion to this series and it, it pays homage to the first trilogy in a lot of strategic ways that I really appreciated. Uh, I still think that they should have just ended the franchise with number three, just gone out on a high note, but uh, it's, it's a, it's a solid entry and it's a, it's a fun movie. It's probably not one that I would watch again, but it was, it was in line with all of the other ones. Yeah, which is, I think, actually an 
kind of challenging to land that like perfect balance of it being on par with the others and not falter entirely, but then also not be like groundbreakingly different. I think usually when something's like in the same vein as the previous entries in the series, they tend to just be judged a lot more harshly. And somehow this one really worked. I, I had read a bunch of reviews before watching the movie saying that this movie wasn't great. It was kind of a flop. So I think my expectations were much lower and was just so pleasantly surprised at how fun this movie was. I I loved it. I thought it was a really good time. Um, definitely probably like plays it safe compared to other franchises that have done like I think bolder moves for like their final movie and what they want to do with this character. This feels just very much like we're going to take the formula. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. And that's it. It's a, it's a fun time. Um, there were um, some scenes where I was like, man, the dedication to doing like physical action sequences in especially the first few movies, um, I think really shows a difference between just all the technology that we have now to make it a lot cheaper to do some of the action. So um, there's definitely some deltas there that I noticed. But man, I, I just also love this score. I think it's just so strong and just tugs on all the right heartstrings in the best way. So, Yeah, John Williams comes through in this movie, which like, yeah. How is he still creating things that are this wondrous right? Mm-hmm. at his age? Like, oh my gosh. I'm, I was also just amazed by the score. And there were multiple times in the movie where I was like, oh, this is incredible solely because of the score. Like, oh, John Williams. Perfect. Yeah, it's very much a John Williams, Steven Spielberg collaboration. Like, there is no doubt about that. And I think that's why I enjoyed it because it's just that like, I'd been going through um, John Williams' music over the past um, couple weeks in in no way because of this, just because it's so good. Um, so I already had that like that love for Spielberg, John Williams um, mashup, and then to walk into this movie and just relive all of that in a new way was just a lot of fun, um, and then. Um, you throw Harrison Ford in there and it's just this like nostalgic classic just good fun yeah I love that um, you mentioned that because there's something about the score in this movie that makes me feel like I went back in time like this feels like a movie from a different age, even though it has all of the like modern filmmaking techniques applied to it, of course, but that score just kind of takes you back and it feels like an entry from a different time, which I, I, I think I rarely get that feeling now with new movies. Usually there, there's like a, a flashier score, but I kind of just love how classic and, um, by, by the books in the best way, uh, this, this score was, and there's something that feels very simple and straightforward about just give us some great string swells and that classic theme at the like strategically chosen moments. And like, I'm sold. I'm emotionally bought in. Okay. So let's include a spoiler alert here. So if you haven't seen Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, we recommend checking it out in theaters. This is one that is so fun to go to watch in theaters. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we will have full reign over the entire plot from here on out. Okay, uh, I have a question for you, Caitlin, which is you mentioned that this this film really worked for you. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on um, what parts and pieces of that came together to make this just such a, such a slam dunk for you. Um, it was a couple things. One, it, it didn't stray from the, the, uh, recipe of Indiana Jones movies like there were some things that were that you saw coming that were predictable but it was okay because um you know it just that's how that's how the Indiana Jones movies work they're not these deep dark mysteries it's the adventure of it and um so 
I enjoyed that and it didn't it didn't try to be something it wasn't. It didn't try to be um you know, like like you said a newer flashier version um of Indiana Jones. It didn't try to make Harrison Ford who's what 80ish be somebody who's 30 years younger than he is um which is insane that he's that age and still doing this. yeah exactly yeah. um my yeah, he goodness. was 78 when he filmed this my goodness oh, crazy incredible and he's um, ripped in this like <laughs> yeah. what yeah yeah and they let like he is but they let him be 78 like they even threw some lines in there you know that were i've got a plate in this knee and a screw in that hip and i was dying for that whole part um but it just they let it be an indiana jones movie and um you know they had the um the right amount of throwbacks to earlier movies that just um you know like they look like snakes no they don't (laughs) um just things like that it just it was what I would expect walking into an Indiana Jones movie. And that was what I wanted. I didn't want something um, that was trying to be, um, you know, new and crazy and, and, you know, redoing the franchise. I just wanted a a good old Indiana Jones romp. And that's what I got. Um, So, and it was fun to see some of the faces that, you know, there are a couple I expected to see and a couple I didn't expect to see. So that was fun, too. Just some of the um, former characters that we love. So it just, you know, it wasn't necessarily groundbreaking in any way, but I didn't need it to be. I just wanted it to be fun. And uh, that's what it was. Yeah, and I it's interesting to me because um, there are so many of these other franchises that that follow their formula. I'm thinking about Fast and Furious because it's the obvious one. I think there's a clear formula. Um, people are obviously going to see them, having a good time, and yet there's like a clear sense from everyone that the the quality is just the the law of diminishing return is real and present, and we feel it. And somehow, this one is is has struck the perfect balance of feeling so coherent and in line with the rest of the films without deteriorating in in quality or feeling like oh they just did the same thing again <laughs> which typically can, can sometimes be kind of the critique of a a new entry in a franchise is like oh they're just doing the same thing again but somehow we're here for it for Indiana Jones like I'm curious your guys' thoughts on why why this one seems to work and does not fall into the trap of yet another formulaic entry in a franchise. And in fact, it's, I'm so glad they knew this brand so well and delivered us exactly what we love about this brand again. Yeah, I I think it's some of what you just said, like this understanding of what Indiana Jones is uh, and not trying to be something that it's not. And I also love that the film acknowledges that Harrison Ford is old now and so Indiana Jones is old now and there's something so endearing about seeing old Indiana and and it's it's this character like if you've watched all the movies in the franchise you've seen him grow up you know you've seen him as a teenager because there's flashbacks in I think the third one and then you've seen him as you know this hot stuff archaeologist in his prime and now we're seeing him as an old man at the end of his life and and I think the film does a really good job harnessing that and and understands our emotional investment in him uh, and gives Indy a pretty good emotional arc that he goes on uh, so that our investment in the character is not in vain. Uh, and I think that that's a, a big part of it is just that awareness of who Indy is, what the franchise is, and just staying faithful to that as they introduce new characters, new things to discover, all of that. Uh, but Indy is at the core of it and it felt true to him. 
Yeah, and he does he does have this um like you said emotional arc that he goes on, but it's not so overwhelming that it's just like, "Oh my gosh, okay, we get it." Like you feel outdated. You know, he he goes on that journey and he you know, grumbles along the way as he does. Um but it's not this, you know, even in the beginning, it's not a woe is me. It's not, um, you know, he's he's had real stuff happen. And, you know, they bring that emotional weight of if you could go back, what would you do? And he just he tells this story that just absolutely rips your heart out. Um, but he's not complaining the whole time about how life has been unfair or any of this, you know, he's still, um, he still has his, his spark. He's not, you know, given up on life. Um, so they, you know, it's, you, I guess it's what you want to see from your heroes later on down the road. Like they're looking back at their life. They have regrets. They have, you know, they have, successes and now they're just trying to grapple with what now what next um you know while still being you know he's still him as well so um yeah they just they took all the best parts of him and and kept him going and uh just put him into a new story that had him kind of um kind of forced him to face up to all those things but again just not in a not in a way that felt dragging or weary or tiring those are really great points actually which is that the the investment that we have in him as a character and and seeing his his change and growth and his life seasons over time helps keep that like strong emotional core Con- like we contrast that to say Fast and Furious where I, like I don't think anyone's that invested in Dominic Toretto's like life journey you know like it begins to be trophy whereas there is a genuine connection that we have with Indy as he's, as he's grown and gone on all of these different adventures but also experienced life things and it, it just is like such a wise framing device to start us off with him in this movie at the beginning of the movie with him just literally hanging up his hat to dry right like he is done he's reaching retirement there he's alone and he's reflecting about all the the things that didn't go as planned in life and there's a there's a there's a downcastness but I think that also makes the times later in the film when he's on the adventure that much more satisfying you know like we get to see him back in the saddle and that is thrilling because we started kind of in a low and then we kind of end on a high which was just like such a smart character choice and like a framing device for how we start this entire journey this adventure in this movie and I love how the film is so intentional in in getting us into his headspace. It's not just that, like, Indy is now a grumpy old man, which I just loved. I loved that scene when he basically yelled, like, <laughs> get off my lawn at his neighbors, but it's the apartment version. So good. Um, but you see that he feels like the world has passed him by. And, you know, in in previous movies when he's lecturing the the room is full everybody is engaged they want to know more and they're interested in archaeology and all of this interested in history and so then you see Indy in this movie and the room is half empty no one is paying attention they're not engaging with the material he also isn't engaging with the material Um, and so you just feel that he is a man out of time which then relates to the whole plot of the the movie and the device being a thing about time and all of that so I just I love how that is just organically worked in and you can understand then by the end why he's like no leave me here where where I'm with history I'm with the thing that I love and you see that spark in him again that you didn't see at the beginning of the movie when he was in his home so I just I thought that that was such a brilliant way to set us up 
for this whole adventure that we go on as we see him getting that spark again and 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 returning to the indie that we we know and we've seen before it was just very well done it was also fun to just have that it was almost like a little mini indie movie at the beginning of the whole big Indiana Jones movie the you know the flashback to um or a little bit of story back in uh, World War II. That was just fun. It was like, hey, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like, remember this Indiana Jones? Yeah, this is, you know, this is what we're here for. This is what we love. And then like, whoop. I don't think it's said. Um, I guess it would be about 20 years later. Um, 20? Can I do math right? Yeah. Um, I kept waiting for how many years later. It never said, but. Um, that was just fun it was a fun starter to the movie and lasted much longer than I expected it to actually I thought that they were gonna wrap it up you know a little snippet here then we go straight in but we spent quite a bit of time there quite a bit of screen time but yeah actually Caitlin it's a really good point which is actually the movie doesn't start with Indy as an old man as a grumpy old man it starts with him in his like full prime with that that energy and that spark Sarah that you're mentioning and then we see him as the grumpy old man and but we have that vision we know that that indie's in there and so when he comes back out again for the adventure it's really satisfying so so it kind of sows that desire in us because we've seen who he was and is and is but then we see the kind of the the effects of the world uh wearing him down a little bit and so it's just that much more satisfying we get to see that all come to fruition so how did you guys feel about like the de-aging stuff in the beginning? Did that, did that work for you? Did you believe it? Like how thoughts on the de-aging stuff? When I first saw him, I was like, oh, they de-aged him. And that was literally the last thought I had about it. Like I didn't, the quality, I didn't notice anything with it. I didn't think it was bad quality at all. Um, I think it looked a lot cleaner than stuff that we've seen in the past. Um, So I really, truly didn't even think about it after the first initial, like, oh, he's young again. There's no way this is a clip from 40 years ago. So they de-aged him. Um, But I didn't, it was not a distraction to me at all. Same. I think my first thought in the first couple minutes was, because I don't, I don't remember the third and fourth movie. So I was like, is this a clip from something that I just don't remember because I didn't do my homework? Um, but then because it was like 10, 15 minutes potentially long, I was like, okay, they clearly have de-aged him. It, it wasn't as distracting for me as, as well, but I also tend to not really care or notice that stuff as much in general with movies. There's like so much other action that was – captivating my attention that I didn't really notice it too much but Sarah it sounds like you might have some thoughts Uh, I was so distracted (laughs) I Uh, knew you would be (laughs) why am I the way that I am I was so I don't know I could not focus I was like this is not what Harrison Ford looked like oh my gosh I was so bothered um especially in the moments when uh like at the very end of that, when, when they're walking away and you can tell that it's an old man body that's walking, uh, I was like, this is, this is not it. There were certain shots like with his hands that I was like, oh, that doesn't look great. Sometimes his voice didn't sound great. I was just, I was bothered. Uh, but yeah, that is a personal problem. And I'm glad that you guys were not bothered so that you were able to enjoy that experience because I did not enjoy that experience. Well, if you feel that way, I'm sure that there are other people that are going to be like, mm, I'm calling BS on this one, <laughs> you know? Like, um, I, I do wonder if there's a way that they could have done it so that there's just less shots of, like, close-ups of his face or his hands, you know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if there's just some some more strategic filmmaking choices that could have – uh, reduce the amount of just like real estate surface area that need and time with his face on screen. 
where you still get the effect of we're seeing young Indy do his thing, but it doesn't, it's not as in your face perhaps, or they could maybe save some money, <laughs> you know? I don't know. Nah, they're Disney. They don't True. need to save money. Come on now. True, the Disney Death Star. Yes. But I do wonder, because like, mm-hmm. obviously you're watching this in a theater, so it's in this big screen. Um, I wonder if, you know, watching it at home on your smaller TV, you might not be as bothered, but it's still, it's still, when you see his full body and he's like moving and doing stuff, it's like, oh, that's not a 30 year old person who's doing that. Uh, And so it's still, the Irishman had the same issue where it was, they looked young, but you could tell that their bodies were not young. Um, So we still haven't gotten the technology to, to fix that yet, but you know, we'll, we'll get there someday, which is kind of cool, but kind of terrifying at the same time. So things to look forward to. Would a stunt double have done it for you in certain places, like that scene walking away? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been better. So it's it's just those little things that I'm like, I, I wonder why we chose certain things, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, I am hopefully in the minority in being bothered. No, I, I actually, I just hate in general that this technology exists because I think that we'll end up using it more and more, you know? Oh, yeah. like I think, that, I forget which Star Wars movie, but there was like an entire character where they just like CGI constructed his face and it's like kind of terrifying and eerie and it doesn't work at all. I think they were con- contemplating potentially doing that with um, the Leia characters. And I was like, oh my gosh, if the technology is there, we're going to use it. So, you know, if it's, if it's not, then we have to get, I think, probably more creative with the screenwriting. So I just kind of hate that it exists in general. I know they did like one little scene with Leia. I don't, they didn't do too much. They didn't need to. Um, at the beginning of Ant-Man, they did. Um, and I guess that's what I have in my head as the de-aging. And this is definitely improved from that. Um, they look more natural or he looked more natural um, and less um, either waxy or, you know, kind of mask like face. Um, so again, it's definitely improved and yeah, I get it. Like uh, it's, it's something that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they would have had to work around as far as writing. So um we'll see how that continues if you know for flashbacks they continue to use this or i don't know we'll see what happens wait sarah question did it bother you with mads mickelson's character not as much because mm-hmm. i they, they did didn't have to yeah they didn't have to yeah. do as much with mads <laughs> so it was like oh i can tell that you you airbrushed him but it's not. <laughs> Let's see. How old is Mads Mikkelsen? I don't know. 57. See, that's a much, yeah. The it's, amount of wrinkles you get from 57 to 78 yes. is a lot more. Yeah, a lot more. It's, and even just, an I mean. exponential curve. <laughs> yeah. As you yeah. age, like your face shape also changes. Like mm, there's just, yeah. things happen as you get old and it's fine. It is what it is, but uh, it's it's hard it's hard to de-age people and our our technology is is can do a lot but it's still not a hundred percent and that's all right. Mm-hmm. So while we're talking about I think characters in general, I'm curious your your both of your thoughts on Helena as a character. She spends uh, like so much screen time. Um, and she's pretty integral to this plot. So I'm curious your thoughts on her addition and the way that they designed her character. I am still a little foggy on how she went from, you know, this little girl who obviously saw her dad go a little crazy over this thing. Um, but how did that walk her into a life of crime and caring only about money and 
I was just a little foggy on how that how that happened um that was my that was my biggest thing with her it's like okay you like yeah we get it Indy didn't Indy didn't show back up when he should have and um we don't know at what point her father passed away um you know was she still extremely young was she um you know more of a teenager or a young woman we don't know um but we know she got degrees in archaeology and somehow just decided you know what I'm gonna instead of you know doing what the people in my life that I looked up to in major ways did with their lives I'm just gonna go embark on a life of crime and I was a little foggy on that um so I think that was my biggest qualm with her like how did we get here aside from this being a great um problem for Indy to have to fix see we got there because crime is fun and that's it well okay then <laughs> no, it's a, well, and not a really Sarah Callan in a nutshell here. folks <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah no I I, it's a really good question and I I think (laughs) my my question about her is is similar well I guess it's not a question but like my issue with her is similar in that like we get from this like edgy criminal only out for myself only out for money jazz and then like in the last 20 minutes she cares and is going to risk everything to not only save Indiana but then drag him back to the present call Sala call his ex-wife like have a whole family reunion and that happens in like 20 or 30 minutes at the very very end and I was like I I didn't love how that jump was made I understand why we had to go through all of those things and how she had to go from kind of pseudo foe to like friend I I get it but to me the pacing of that was a little weird but I I am just a fan of Phoebe Waller-Bridge I think she is so funny I loved her in Fleabag great writer good comedic timing and I I like that she is able to she's able to be like lighthearted and fun but not be so like over the top that that it feels out of place. Like she's able to share in the wit with Indy. She's able to have like senses of dark humor too when he's being a grump. Like it was just an uh, an unexpected match that I think worked for me really well. And she was a good companion for him, especially now that he is older and she just... I don't know, to me, she was a really good, a really good sidekick for him. And I was just entertained watching her being ridiculous and doing all the things. So I had a great time with her character, even though I had some questions and some issues. Whatever. You want to go from crime to saving the day? Go for it, girl. Live your life. She was in the, she was in the presence of the hat, the magic of the hat. You know? oh. I was working on her the entire time. Okay. So changes she, hearts. <laughs> yeah, she went from Slytherin to Gryffindor she by the did. end. Nice. She just changed houses because she was in the magic of the sorting hat. Right. <laughs> I see. Okay. We understand now. And it makes sense because Indiana hates snakes, so she could not be part of the snake house. <laughs> wow. It all makes sense now. We got it. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for writing the rest of the thesis for me. That was great. That was great evidence. We got it. Good teamwork, guys. That was something. She was electric on screen. I absolutely loved her character. And my unpopular opinion is I think that she kind of steals the show a little bit in a lot of the action sequences. She's just so magnetic on screen that, um, I mean, she definitely brings a different energy than – uh, some of the rest of the characters, but I just thought that it was such a great compliment to kind of the the reluctance and and um, uh, the lower 
energy and the the grumpiness of Indy throughout. And she's this kind of like daring, bold, um, incredibly uh, energetic character on screen. And that that visually, I thought, was was really great for just this kind of buddy comedy chemistry on screen, uh, for lack of a better uh, comparison, where they they don't want to work together, but they are forced to. And that kind of creates the a really ripe environment for some really fun banter. So I thought that the, the characterization for her was a perfect fit for kind of this older indie um, who's cynical and reluctant, but is getting dragged into this adventure. Yeah, it was fun to see her, you know, think she was, um, you know, top of her game and best one out there. And just to see her get thwarted by him, um, you know, just in his slow moving, grumpy, you know, non dramatic way. Um, it was just it was fun. I agree to see their um, their banter, but just their their struggle of like um you know I've I've been doing this forever I know what I'm doing versus I'm the best and I'm gonna do what I want no matter what anybody says it's because she's basically a, a teenage rebel against his dad character I mean that was the dynamic they had and it I definitely agree it was a lot of fun um just to see them you know they're their battle of wills go up against one another and their battle of um, experience and way of navigating this world that they're both in um, her, you know, kind of in the, the darker bits and him more, um, you know, a little bit on the higher up. So it was just, I agree. It was a fun dynamic to watch. And I, I think something else that's really interesting about her character, which is very in line with Disney as a brand, but you know, they, she is just um, cal- pretty calculated and and optimizing for short term gains for most of the movie. And due to the magic of the hat, <laughs> she has a, a a heart change by the end, and and is captivated once again by the excitement and the magic of these relics and history and, and she cares all of a sudden. And I thought that was a really sweet character growth for her, albeit Sarah, to your point, quite fast, but it is very in line with like the, I think what makes Disney Disney and kind of what we love about these like heartwarming films, which is that ultimately it's a, this movie is a triumph of, the love for your passions over just optimizing for short-term gains and for money and for output. It's like Indy's really – Indy represents the person who's there just because he he just loves this stuff. And he's his superpower is his knowledge and his research because he loves this so deeply and it serves him well in many situations. And it was really cool to see that ultimately win in her as well. So I thought that was really – Sweet and heartwarming. So this could also be titled The Sorting Hat Conquers Capitalism. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Capitalism nice. is defeated. Yeah. By the although, sorting hat. Although Who this movie knew? is not doing well at the box office. So capitalism oh, is man. not on the side of Disney this time around. It's back with a vengeance. It, it said, is. hey, you tried to take me down in your movie. I'm going to take right. you down in real life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. What are people even going to see right now? I don't know. Super Mario Brothers? That was a couple weeks ago. I don't think that's out anymore. What yes. are people going are people to see right now? What are people watching if they're not watching Indiana Jones? Maybe they're no saving idea. up their monies for – the Barbie. battle between Oppenheimer and Barbie Oppenheimer. that's going to happen in a couple weeks. The battle. Oh, Lordy. Caitlin, oh, Lordy. Where, where are you on this on this battle? Which side are you on? Uh, how about nope and nope? <laughs> that is fair. Oh, she's like, I'm not playing this game. <laughs> Although I did get a kick out of um, if you love Barbie, this movie is for you. If you hate Barbie, this movie is for you. <laughs> The marketing team needs to get a great bonus for that one. Yeah. So, okay. 
we all know I'm usually on here for Marvel movies, so Marvel had to show up at some point. Um, mm-hmm. I was definitely slightly distracted in that first sequence of Young Indy um, with Toby Jones in uh, World War II because yes. <laughs> in Captain America, he is on the opposite side. He is not a good guy. He is on the German side. And so I was definitely like, I am so confused right now. Are we rooting for Toby Jones? Or are we rooting against Toby Jones? What's happening? I'm confused. <laughs> so yeah, that was my little. Which uh, they should have known from their market research that the the target audience of Marvel is probably very similar to the target audience for Indiana Jones people. True. I think it's just that he fits so well in World War II era. I don't know why he does, but he does. (laughs) Yeah, it just works. Like, I don't know. It's weird to see Toby Jones in a movie outside of that era. I mean, I'm always happy to see Toby Jones when he pops up, but like, I don't know. It just feels right when he's in World War II. I don't know why it is what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we're talking about actors that we love. I just love Mads Mikkelsen. I just, he's so good. He's, there's so much charisma that he brings to his roles and he's a great villain. I think after seeing him in the, um, in that, I forget which Bond movie, but as the villain there, I was like, can you just put him in every movie? Because it's, he's just so delicious as a villain. It's great. So I just, yet more confirmation of my love for Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, he is phenomenal. When when I saw him come on the screen, I went, what? You're in this? Okay, <laughs> right? now I'm here for this. I didn't know that he was in this either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm so impressed with his ability to play villains. The way that he does it, like, because it's not this, like, over-the-top, obnoxious villain thing that he does it's usually subtle and like really classy the way that he plays villains uh which just makes it so much more fun to watch and even Mm -hmm. with this character there's there's complexity like obviously he's a nazi so he's a bad guy like duh full stop but there's also complexity there like he wants to go back in time to do things differently even though he's a Nazi. So then I'm going, what in the world do I do with you now? You're still a bad guy, but I don't, I, I don't know what to do with you anymore. So I think that there are just little things where I'm like, you're, you're so bad, but I see glimmers of something that's interesting and something that's compelling about you that just complicates everything. And I, I loved it. He's so good. He's so good at being a villain. It's amazing. He somehow makes the villain endearing in, in, in a weird way. I And it's hard to explain, but I think that it there's not a lot for him to work with in this role, to be honest. Like, I think in the hands of another actor, it just would be this kind of over-the-top, maniacal character that just wants to go back in time. But there's a sense of – there's a sense of um, uh, nuance and, and there's like a – you can tell that this man has thought deeply about his strategy and this is why he has taken this approach and he's, he's um, measured about his approach, which I think is really fascinating. I think that's all Matt Spickleson bringing, just that the glint in his eye just speaks volumes. He takes the, the German pride. He does the German pride very well. And especially the, the Nazi pride of like, we, we are the best. We should be the best. We should be the ones ruling the world. And this man ruined it. I saw all of his mistakes. I saw everything that he did wrong. So I don't care about him. I still want us to be the best. And so he's like, I'm just going to take him out and do it myself. And it just, it somehow that just embodies that, um, just that, like I said, that Nazi pride, um, without it being like, if you took out the fact that it was Nazis and how horrible the things that they were doing were, I think if you took that out, 
it it could be a very um compelling uh thing that he's trying to do you know if it were um if it were some other time in history some other um movement that he was trying to go back and fix the mistakes of it could be very you could easily be rooting for him but it's nazis and it's the you know just this awful terrible thing and so it's like i get what you're saying but no <laughs> how about not <laughs> yeah i i think you're picking up on something which is really great which is that the, the sheer audacity he has to even think up this idea to go back and kill the man that he was supposed to be serving all those years and that he's gone from being this loyal this loyal uh, um servant of this leader to many years later being like actually <laughs> let's go f- fix the mistakes is is bold and daring and the out of the box thinking is compelling so yeah really quite a thrilling i i appreciate that there was a great villain played by a great actor in this movie because i think it makes the adventure that much more fun it makes the protagonist that much more exciting when they triumph as well um but Sarah, you're doing great for those podcasts today. Crimes are fun and uh, gushing about the classiness of our, our villains. This is, this is fabulous for you. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, we're taking all of my weird soapboxes today. It's great. I love it. What other weird things do we need to talk about, guys? Um, how about ending up in ancient Rome? Well, not ancient Rome. In the middle of an ancient Roman battle? Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was really fun. I love that little little twist of co- continental drift, and then um, whoops, we're back in the we're back in a different, totally different time period. And you and I love the close up shots of Mads Nicholson's face, and you just see his his absolute horror that he did not make it back <laughs> to where he wanted to go. He was so excited and so ready, and just the disappointment was just really satisfying to watch. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought what was really great about that little plot sequence was Helen, uh, Helena's insistence on bringing Indy back. I actually, I thought that they might have left him there and he, he, he gets to be reunited with the thing that he loves most, which I think could have been poetic in its own way. But I kind of love that she's like, you belong here and um, you know, there's been so many movies about time travel and whatnot, and people just wanting to go back in time and staying in that what they believe to be the perfect place or moment or time where they feel like they've they've self-actualized. But I appreciate that she's like, there's more for you here. I know that you don't see it, and I know that you've given up hope, but there's more that I see for you in present day. And I, I kind of loved that she did that. The attitude of her punching him in the face um, was, to me, very reminiscent of uh, Indy pulling out the gun in, I don't remember which movie it was, when it's supposed to be like this big old sword fight. He just like whips out the gun and shoots the guy. It was very much the same mood. And I just, I appreciated that. It was, it was like, we're having this deep argument and trying to convince you this is right or that is right and they're like you know what no we're done with this i'm just gonna knock you out and drag you and i just i appreciated that again one of those little moments where this 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 franchise clearly understands itself very well it knows itself well Mm -hmm. and understands its brand of humor too like there is a there's like a campiness and an earnestness uh in Indiana Jones and it's like it's a very specific 80s type of humor um and it's cool to see how they were able to carry that into modern day and so again like that's why I'm just so impressed with this this film you know how they were able to make it make it work for today's audiences without betraying who Indiana Jones has always been and what this, what this franchise has always been. I think the the style of humor also really contributes to that as well. My theater loved that part. 
my 9, 10 a.m. showtime <laughs> erupted in laughter in some parts of this movie. So, yeah. I love that they actually filmed on location in all these places. I was really curious. Um, just, I mean, it's Disney, so they can go wherever and do whatever they want. But um, honestly, just with the ages of some of the actors. Um, but look in the credits. They went to Morocco. They went to Sicily. They went to Scotland. Um, I think it was filmed in London. But I just love that they actually went to all these places, um, both in the movie and went to film. I mean, there was one scene when they were in Morocco. I was like, okay, would it really have been an Indiana Jones movie if there was not a dusty tuk-tuk race through the middle of a cramped city? <laughs> right. I mean, really, it wouldn't. That's just, that's, you have to have that in Indiana Jones movie. And I was just so thrilled. I, I loved it. That whole scene, I was just like, this is just content for the theme park ride that will be right? at some point. Like that, yeah. the way that those tuk-tuks were constructed, I'm like, you yes. can easily fit four people in there, <laughs> string them all together. Yeah. I want it now. <laughs> the Disney Death Star is very strategic in laying the foundations for their future capitalistic endeavors. Also, can we just talk about how he knew what Moroccan gum was made of? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to MacGyver your way out of all these situations, you have to have a catalog of random facts ready to go at all times. Very true. So Indy true. was just going through his filing cabinet and he found <laughs> the information that he needed. Dude, the... Uh the storage of all of the artifacts and all of the the diaries and logs and information and stuff that it kind of hurt me inside when he toppled it all over yeah um, me too but, oh my gosh I was like can I go explore that like that looks amazing well the other thought that I was having similar to that was they all are just touching the dial with their bare hands yeah I'm like <laughs> relic from yeah. ancient times it's just being like tossed back and forth between cars and they're just I'm like use gloves people. <laughs> hey, you know, they just don't make things like they used to back then. That's true. Didn't matter. Mm -hmm. They could mm -hmm. live through whatever. Yeah. It's those more modern ancient relics that you have to be gentle with. <laughs> Okay, any other last thoughts about Indiana Jones 5 before we wrap up? I'm sad that um, they killed the Spanish guy. That hurt me <gasps> on the inside. Yes. Also, shout out to Antonio Banderas for mm -hmm. just popping up in Indiana Jones. Right? That's great. so great, too. <laughs> Such fun color. Okay, can we very quickly... Talk about pinky rings. <gasps> there are oh. pinky rings in this? Okay, I definitely oh didn't notice any gosh. of them. This is Too many okay, so Caitlin, oh. I have a theory that oh, in yeah, movies, yeah, I don't know that we've talked about pinky rings when Caitlin has been on here, but I have this theory nope. that in movies, if you see a pinky ring, uh, that person is a villain. Um, we have figured out that with women, it's like hit or miss, but usually with like males, that holds true. And so anytime I spot a pinky ring in a movie, I bring it up and we have to talk about it. And there are at least two in here. There might have been three, but I didn't get a good enough look to be confident in the third. So there are two pinky rings. Uh, and Jen, you did not see the pinky rings nope i just okay. want to know like how many of your brain cells are just they're like the amazon echo you know like they're <laughs> always just like waiting to hear when when there's a pinky ring that sounds very accurate of sarah yes like again there's like a special quota of dedicated brain cells <laughs> that you have it's 
it's a weird thing. I notice weird things when I <laughs> when I watch movies and TV. It's stupid, yes, but do. it is what it is. I need like but a two so person moody, very talkative drama, and maybe I'll notice them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in this one, um, the first one that I spotted was worn by Mason, who was the the black chick who was Mm -hmm. some sort of government official. She was wearing a pinky ring on her right hand. Uh, And then the second one that I saw was uh, Helena's fiance, Rahim, also wore a pinky ring. That's a good day to find. How the heck did you see that? Right? I I don't know. I just did. (laughs) In the middle, as he's like whizzing across the screen, in the middle of like shooting things and everything's blowing up. Those five brain cells are like... (laughs) his was on I think oh now I don't remember I think it was on his right hand yes it was on his right hand and so I think like he went to like shoot a gun or something and so like that's how I saw it I think is what happened but yeah I have a problem and it is what it is and what was the possible third uh during the auction, the dude in the gray suit, I think that he had one on his left hand, but I'm not certain because I couldn't get a good, like, second look to confirm. That a fifth oh, extra on the left, in the back, behind the curtains, in the other room. Wow. Might have. Wow. <laughs> the guy who was teaching Teddy how to fly? That dude in the gray suit? Or a different dude in a gray suit? No, at the auction. No, at the on, auction. The silent, in the beginning. Not the silent auction. The, yeah. Who was trying to bid on whatever Helena had when they first get to Morocco. Yeah, I thought that's... Sorry, no, not the guy in the plane. Um, at the very beginning, um, in that room, Teddy has a mock-up of, um, of a plane. Uh, oh. Not dashboard, but instruments and dials and stuff. And... Um, He's like looking at the dials and this guy is sitting there with a woman and he goes, no, no, not yet. Or some, he's literally, he's like teaching Teddy how to fly on this mock-up, like made out of cardboard and straws and um, stuff. And that's, I think it's the first time we see Teddy when he's kind of being the, um, the guard for the auction room. And he, he tells Indy like, no, you can't go in. He's got a, um, like all the dials and and um knobs and stuff for a plane right there, and then he flies the plane at the end. So exactly. all you need for pilot training yeah. is a cardboard piece of uh paper that just has some dials drawn on it. I figured that was where he had some semblance of an idea of how to fly the plane. Because he had been getting those. I didn't even connect. I didn't even know <laughs> So the sorting hat did not bestow magic plane driving abilities on Teddy. Okay, this is this is good to know. I mean, that's still pretty <laughs> magical, man. <laughs> there was some foundation for the the sorting hat to build upon. Some some yeah. some like early screening they were like oh you know like it doesn't really make sense that teddy can fly a plane and so then they were like okay just go back and put some dials on this cardboard piece of paper in this one scene <laughs> that'll solve it mm-hmm. that's all you need yeah yeah, yeah really. you're fine and then you can fly any plane it's not <laughs> specific to just one because they're all the same yes. so you got your one universal cardboard dials and you're set mm-hmm all the pilot training you need it's like the equivalent of bringing a cheat sheet to your like final exam (laughs) where you get like one side of a single sheet of nine and a half by 11 paper (laughs) also that poor guy he wakes up some kids fly in his plane into the clouds and suddenly by a child by romans (laughs) (laughs) that's so true I love I love when they're all like, the dragon. Yes. We, <laughs> we must, must take down the dragons. 
I mean, what else are you going to call it? Right? And can we talk about how much stronger their, um, like, spears and weapons were than the planes? I know. Like, we think we're so advanced, but man. One of those knocked into you? Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Torn apart. Hmm. All right. Well, this was our review and discussion of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. You can find it available out in theaters. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Movies and Us. And thank you, Caitlin, for joining us for this conversation. Thanks again. Mm -hmm. Our name sums it up. We're all about movies and the powerful ways we can connect with each other and the world around us. This podcast is about all of us and our shared stories. Everyone is welcome here, and we're so glad that you hung out with us today. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Movies and Us Pod or email us at moviesandusspod at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Joyride. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next week.